Today on the show, we're talking about financial literacy. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with my co-host Trevor, and we're talking about financial literacy today. Yeah, so this is a topic obviously everybody should be interested in. Either, no matter what stage of life you're in, you are either in the position to receive financial literacy or provide it, but it, it should impact your life uh, at some point. And, and probably, you know, if you're constantly evolving and growing, you should be educating yourself and upgrading your skills in terms of financial literacy throughout your whole life. So Trevor, we touched on the subject of financial literacy back before even episode 100. So kind of in the earlier half of our of our podcast. Why are we, why are we revisiting this subject today? So we had a listener write in, Sherry, who is a high school teacher, and she brought to our attention that financial literacy is actually part of the Ontario high school curriculum. And she also pointed out there's some flaws in how it's deployed in in our high schools. So I, I think if I had to do financial literacy, if I had to teach financial literacy, this show is kind of how I would approach it. I, and I think, so Sherry's email, uh, she, she wrote into us, and uh, so she's a high school teacher. Um, so she kind of sees firsthand the curriculum and how it's incorporated. And one incredible point that she brought up in her email to us was that uh, fi- finance and kind of the financial literacy is brought up. It's, so it is, it's kind of incorporated into curriculum, but it's in supplement to other subjects. So um, it, when you're taking maybe a math class, you'll learn about uh, compounding interest. So that's kind of a subject area where it's intertwined. So I, I like the, that the kind of the emphasis on here that while we may learn these skills, there's no real pointed emphasis on them. But knowing our podcast, if if I were a teacher in high school, I would integrate it into social studies. That's really where it belongs. Oh, definitely. And I think, I mean, we we talked about this in the last episode too that we rec- uh, recorded way back when. But it is such, I think, such a vital, a, a vital subject to learn about in in those years. And we'll we'll kind of dive into that and and why during this episode. But I often hear, and I mean, Trevor, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. Um, whether it's kind of a funny thing on social media that people are kind of poking fun at, but they say people say that I mean, of all the other kind of, there's a lot of phenomenal um, extra classes you can take in high school, but personal finance. I mean, like, why isn't it there? I think there's so obviously so much space for it to be there. Well, we say that personal finances. I I think I change my percent all the time, but it's about 90% behavior, 10% math. And I think if somebody were to sign up for a personal finance class, they might shy away from it thinking it's a math problem or a math course that, and that's maybe not their strength, but it, it really isn't. And my, the problem is I don't think it's going to be delivered as a behavioral class if it were deployed in our high school, even properly and evaluated and, and required for, for graduating. I still think it would be presented as a math problem or a math course. And and really, when you get in the real world, it isn't math that's that's getting you to the cash register with a 85-inch TV that you can't afford. That wasn't a math problem. You know, that isn't you saying, 
I think I can afford this. This is this is your emotions getting the best of you. No, and that might right there be the underlying reason why we why we're going about this show today. That Trevor, you've kind of just encapsulated all so perfectly the importance of 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 studying personal finance from a behavioral approach, which again is, is what we do on this podcast week after week. If you think of the technology, we talked about this before, if you use your cell phone to keep track of your personal finances, at the very least you could access your bank account with your phone. If you're at a, in a long enough line, if you're in one of those Costco lineups with your 85-inch TV, you can quickly check your bank account and say, gee, I wonder if there's enough money in my account for this TV. No, I guess I'll use my credit card. That That's not someone doing math. That's someone using emotion. Oh, definitely. And and this, this kind of math-first behavioral approach that might get lost if it is kind of fully incorporated into the curriculum in an actual defined personal finance course. This is kind of already seen in the mentality we have around accounting courses in in high school. I know I took accounting and obviously you were, you've taken your wealth of accounting courses as well, Trevor. But one thing I, I the kind of the stigma around it was like, oh, wow, that must be a lot of math. And I'm like, no, it, there's really there, anyone who's taken accounting, it's basic addition and subtraction. But there's there's a the whole kind of theory behind it. And I, I feel like the same can probably be said for you in your actual career in corporate finance as well. Yeah, there's very little math in, in nuts and bolts accounting. It's not about math. It's just, it's almost a language one on, onto itself and just knowing where to put buckets of money to keep track of them. That's really what it's about. Now, you can get into a lot of numbers and analysis in corporate finance, in, in, in accounting, but it doesn't, the nuts and bolts of it is, is not about math. So, it, it, And I'm going to say the math you need for financial literacy, you probably learned in grade, by grade seven. I don't know if you oh, agree yeah, with that. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's probably all the math you need. So if you got past grade seven, you've got it all that you don't need any more math knowledge to survive to 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 get financial literacy but you do need to solve the emotional behavioral issues to really graduate from my financial literacy course <laughs> the prerequisites for uh, for Trevor's course so so let's dive into for and again Sherry thank you so much for writing into us with this email oh and you know I want to see one more point when you look up economics, the study of economics, it's not a, it's a BA program. If you were to get a degree in economics, if you look it up on a, in a university course catalog, it's under the arts because economics is the study of human behavior as it relates to money. Yeah, that's fair. I, I've taken micro and macroeconomics and there really wasn't much math in there at all. I mean, yeah, there was some math, but I'm, I, I, I can attest that I actually, this is a great example. I am not great at math at all. Like, like I can't subtract to save my life, but personal finance is something I'm passionate about. And I passed micro and macro, macroeconomics just, just well and okay as well. So that, that, that really speaks volumes. So I do want to dive into today's episode. We're going to kind of talk about three overarching um, kind of areas during the show today. So we're going to start off with talking about why financial literacy is so important, jumping then into why financial literacy might not work in high school. So that's kind of, we're going to kind of approach it from that angle as well. And then we're going to um, finalize it with um, Trevor's financial literacy topics. He has seven that he's put together as really great areas that 
might serve well being wrapped up into a curriculum. So starting with why financial literacy is so important. So there's four reasons. Number one is personal finance touches all aspects of our lives. And so if you needed a reason to become financial, financially literate, it would be that there isn't anything you're going to do that personal finance is not going to impact. And I'm going to say, if you're in a relationship, say, say you're married, and husband and wife, if you have, if you're constantly struggling to pay the bills and meet your financial obligations, that is going to put a terrible strain on your relationship. If you are struggling to meet the bills and, and, and meet your financial obligations, your parental skills are going to be eroded. You, you, the The attention you can give to your children to to develop their skills is going to be weakened. So, and and the other thing with it. As you raise your children, they're observing your behavior. Like they're learning from your actions. So in terms of just being a parent, I, I think if you conduct yourself in a responsible, financially responsible way, your children will observe that. They will learn more from that than anything you teach them orally or written. And another thing about this too is, oh, and we've talked about this on previous shows as well, but being good, being financially literate, it's not a choice. That That is not an optional thing that we should want to engage in. It's mandatory. Being good, not even good, just understanding personal finance and wanting to be personal personal finance literate, that's that's not a something you get to kind of decide. It's, 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 it's like, it's, you have to be, you have to want to, to excel in that area to really flourish in life. Like we've, I've said before, like if you, we talked about used cars and if, if used cars aren't your thing, okay, I'll give you a pass on that. You, you might have to make adjustments somewhere else in your life, but I'll give you a pass on used cars. Budgeting, it's not optional. You have to do it if you want to succeed financially. Becoming financially literate, meaning you understand your, the, the little bit of math you need, you got in grade seven, understanding what motivates you, what, what your weaknesses are. That's financial literacy in my mind. What, what are your triggers? What makes you, what are your habits? What's consuming your money? The, 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 developing the discipline, that to me is all financial literacy. All of that, understanding how important all of those pieces work together. So number two is it will serve you. So being financial literate will serve you for your entire life. And so think of you, you go to, you go through high school, you go to university, you get an education, say you for in engineering and you become an engineer, you might be an engineer for 30 years. So that education served you for 30 years. Financial literacy, becoming an expert in personal finance will serve you in, well into your retirement. So your entire life. So, so the benefits are, are huge and, and they would, you will carry with them for your entire life. Yet we invest a, a ton of energy into educating us for employment, which will for most people, will serve you for 30 years. Oh, it's so true. I mean, that is really what the entire educational system is is focused around, which is not a bad thing, but you're right. It doesn't serve us in our personal time. Like We're not working 24 hours a day. We're also, there's also a lot of, of time that we can make choices with our money as well. And, and we have to think about how can we educate ourselves for, for that time as well. Well, I'm not a teacher, but... And I would ask, you know, any teachers that are listening to this to, to write in and, and, and comment on this thing I'm going to say, I believe our education system designed is you spend the first time you, 
first part of your education in your early years, learning how to learn and, and acquiring some basic knowledge on reading and writing. And then you spend the, the middle part learning some, I'm going to say, harder skills on learning how to read and write and, and, and just a little bit on how to learn. And then you get into your post-secondary, it's almost 100% hard knowledge. You've already learned how to learn, and, and now you're, you're just getting the hard knowledge to succeed at a specific occupation. So financial literacy should be delivered in those middle to later years, not, obviously not in the earlier part, because you, you're delivering some hard knowledge. You, you, but you need, this, you need to have learned how to learn before you get that financial literacy delivered to you. So I, I, this is kind of a good time to ask it, but do you think that when we are talking about kind of inserting pieces of knowledge into a group of ind- individuals kind of environment, so so the knowledge of uh, financial literacy, do you think if, if that was kind of happened in, in those for, uh, uh, formative years, do you think that our society of individuals, grown up individuals, with how drastically different do you think our society would look? Well, I, I think, it, you know how you get, I'm going to compare it to the Canada Food Guide. So think of the Canada Food Guide. I'm not saying I agree with the Canada Food Guide, but everybody knows what it is and everybody believes they need the portions that the Canada Food Guide suggests. Why can't there be a, a Canada Finance Guide? Oh, I love that. You know, saying this is how much debt you should be carry at any given time you know, and just kind of give you ratios or percentages, something that is a guideline. But I, I think it, it needs to be delivered, in my mind, uh, I'm going to say when you, when you need it the most. So the problem with, I, I was going to get into this later, but the problem, you, the problem with delivering personal financial literacy in high school is you're kind of on the payroll of your parents at that point. So you don't really, that knowledge isn't really, I'm going to say, overly useful when you're 15 years old. It, it, it might, you might understand it, but if you're not, you really, if it doesn't mean much to you, but when you are about to graduate from your four-year degree and you've sort of lived on your own while you're going to school and you've been sort of had to be responsible for paying some bills and you're about to leave on your own. If you could deliver financial literacy right there, right there when the, when the person is going to be stepping out into the real world with real responsibilities and here's the financial literacy that's going to help you succeed, I I think if you could deliver it then, uh, I, I think it would be way more impactful. Which kind of comes around to your financial kind of guide as like the food guide that is developed. It kind of comes back to this piece of resource that you can kind of refer back to when it best serves you well you know people put the canada food guide in the fridge i've seen a lot of people do that imagine a canada finance guide right beside it you know just re- reminding you that this sixty-five thousand dollars truck does not make any sense <laughs> and, you know what and I mean? it's, it's not or, that crazy because we have a wealth of so super educated researchers in the the finance field, so putting something together like this is not the the craziest thing at all. It's it's, it's realistic. Oh, I think so. So n- that's number two. Number three is it will build self confidence. So this point, I I love this point, Trevor, because it really kind of 
it builds upon we were talking about uh, a few episodes ago how we we or it was actually the last episode the, the we seek advice from other people because we don't feel like we have the self confidence to make our own decisions. Well, I kind of threw this one in that I'm going to say most of our society is personal finance illiterate. They they really don't understand what's driving their bad financial decisions. So this is a very sad point I'm trying to make, but if you were financially literate and you understood your strengths and your weaknesses and your small little habits and behaviors lead to big outcomes, if you had that power, your confidence would, and you've seen the wins and the progress because of that, your self-confidence would be at a higher level knowing you have this superpower over the rest of society. Oh, it totally would. And you would, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone listening to this kind of has that same already self-confidence within them because they're kind of equipped with this this mindset and this mentality that that they are trying to always become more and more financial literate, financially literate. Like I'm going to get into this later, but the the one of the foundations of of financial literacy is spend less than you earn. <laughs> that that sounds super basic, <laughs> but but if if you can figure out how much you're spending and you generally know how much you're earning. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know, don't care what that equation is. So just that financial literacy is a superpower. It's true. It's true. And we think of superpowers as these huge monumental things, but it's really as simple as, as what you just said, spend less than you earn. So that's point number three. Point number four is it develops big picture thinking. So this kind of is, is so if, if you are able to become financially literate and employ it and get results, you will then understand that little things you do every day lead to big results. I mean, it's, so then you, you can start to employ that in other aspects of your life. So this big picture thinking would would spill over to your your health. You would understand that the little things you do every day will lead to a longer, healthier life. Uh, your relationships, you know, the little things you do with the people who are who mean the most to you, the way you treat them on an ongoing day to day basis will result in in fostering greater relationships. So this this big picture thinking can can spill over to all aspects of your life. I I completely agree with that. It, it kind of puts your your head and your your thought process into that that positive space. Because if I were to teach financial literacy, it would be one of the things I would teach was was all these little tiny things add up to make a big impact. And if you, if you could understand that and deploy it in your life financially then the light would go off and saying, wow, if I did this for my health, what kind of outcome would I have? If I did this for the people I care the most about in terms of relationships, what kind of relationship would I have? And it, it's worked for me. Like I, I've done this for years, decades, but it, it's powerful. This, is, I, this might be a little bit kind of sidetracking us, but do you believe that your ability to stick with your personal finance goals and your ability to to be financially responsible and and all the things have all, have all the things that you kind of developed personal finance wise 
do you believe that's made you a stronger person and someone who is more able to be accountable to himself than in other aspects of your life? Well, you know how I said number three was it builds self-confidence. Well, I, what, every time you have these financial wins, even if you have a setback, you, you, you know what it would take to, to overcome that setback. Like, I guess knowledge is power. And just knowing how to solve a problem even if you currently don't have the motivation or the stamina or the energy, but if you just have the knowledge and you know, you know, when I do get motivated, at least I know what to do. I, I know how to solve this. So the knowledge in itself is, is very powerful. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Also, hands up high if you'd like Trevor to develop a uh, personal uh, financial literacy course because my hand is raised really high right now. I would sign up so fast. Um, so let's, let's move on now to talking about the possible target groups for financial literacy. So you've kind of listed off a few, Trevor. So can you kind of talk about maybe why you've selected these possible target groups? Well, it it kind of makes sense to deliver this, uh, a financial literacy program to high school students or college and university students. What you should also be open to it at any point in your life. But delivering it any sooner than high school just would not make sense. And delivering it beyond college university, I, I think you're just, it's, it's not too late, but you, you've wasted, you may have wasted a lot of good years. And so I, I personally think, as I said earlier, the time to deliver this is in your final year of your post-secondary education. That is when it will have the most lasting impact. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, when you are graduating university or college or any post-secondary institution, you've kind of been under that sheltered environment of of being a student. So there's not as many kind of decisions, big decisions, life-changing decisions, adult decisions that could really alter um, your kind of financial environment. You're kind of very sheltered. So, uh, and I, we are looking, I think, when we graduate for that direction. So I think kind of incorporating into that, you'll be so important. But also uh, d- looking to the high school as well. At that age, I, I feel like our brains are so malleable, almost like Play-Doh. Like we can just shape and, and, and kind of really insert new positive thoughts into um, high school age students' minds and, and really help them kind of grow at that stage. Well, also the post-secondary student, so in college or university, if they're in a four-year degree, they had to spend four years being frugal and making money, stretching their dollar. They, they, they've developed all these skills. And those things are quickly, for most students, the minute they get a decent paycheck flowing in, their lifestyle inflates overnight. And all those skills they developed, all that discipline they developed to live frugally, it's it's completely gone. And if I were teaching financial literacy, I would I would say hold on to those skills. They're they're going to serve you for a lifetime. Do not let them go. I would normalize living like a student for the next I'm going to say 5 years after you graduate. You know, the, embrace that because once you cross the threshold and you inflate your lifestyle, coming back is is so hard to do. Try telling some of my like my university friends that and it, it, it's a tough sell like there'd be there'd be a lot of yeah okay Trevor like whatever you say but it, it's it is a tough sell but it is I 100% agree the reality of it well here's the problem is 
So when you graduate from university, what are you, 22, 23? So you've spent four years of your 23 years in in, in what feels like poverty, right? It feels like you, so you went from the, the, the very comfortable, lush life living with your parents into four years of poverty. But those four years when you're 23 is a, is a fairly big percent of your, the life that you can remember. But when I, when you're 50 something like me and I look back four years is like a, a winter nap. You know what I mean? Like four, four years is this like, I could do that for eight years. Like that is such a small window of time. But the problem is in your twenties, it, it, it seems like a big chunk of your life. So it, it seems like misery has been going on forever, right? Living in poverty like a student. So I, I, I see the reason to want to get out of it, but I'd like to normalize the concept that you don't. No, and I think, and the, the fact that that concept, that you, student who just graduated, keep living the way you're living like that, the fact that the concept sounds so absurd and so outlandish, I mean, that right there, it really reinforces the need for a discussion, a financial literacy discussion around the importance of that. Um, and, and I guess my final question before we move on to talking about uh, talking about the next kind of subject that we're going to talk about here, you mentioned that it's you mentioned these two groups as your kind of target groups to to uh, kind of discuss financial literacy with. But are you under? Is, I mean, I think and I, tell me if I'm wrong, but there I think there's never and it's never too late to immerse yourself or continue to grow in the financial literacy space. I think always trying to to better yourself and, and gain more knowledge in that and in that realm is always really important. It is, but I think you need to uh, like a, a foundation of financial literacy to start out is a launching pad in life. You you need this this base knowledge, you know, that that I think would would help. And we're going to get into the topics I would deliver because we're kind of talking in vagueness here, but I, I do think you could learn at any time in your life and you should be open to learning throughout your life, but you do need a foundation knowledge. No. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that, that specification about the foundation knowledge, because it is so important. And I want to kind of discuss a little bit more about that in this next section. And you've kind of broached the subject of why financial literacy might not work in high school. So you said that at first it might be a possible target group, but you have five reasons why it might not work as well. So, And I only say this because, you know, our listener wrote in who's a teacher and saying this is when it's being delivered in high school. And I think, you know, from the society I've seen, it's really not working. So, and these are the reasons I think it might not. That's fair. That's so fair. So number one is a maturity is not quite there. Yeah. So if, if, again, if you're not paying your own bills or you don't even have like, until you actually are responsible to keep, for keeping a roof over your own head and food on the table, then this is, this looks like a math problem. It really does. It, it looks like math. And if, if you're comfortable with math, you're, you're going to miss the, the message that, that's trying to be delivered. And I think the real big kind of point about this one is that there's no real decisions to be made. I mean, when you're in high school, there's, 
yeah, you're deciding maybe between clothes or school trips. I don't know. There's the, there are smaller decisions, but it's it's the time I think in university and and post university or, or college when you you have to make those hard heading decisions. Like, am I going to go on? Uh, a, a, can I afford to go on a trip at spring break? Can I afford to go out on this Friday night? Like, there there is there are the, those actual decisions that either week after week or year after year will make or break you. So I think it kind of just becomes a little bit bigger and and bigger consequences when you move into the post-secondary realm. But I think for the most part, it it, it looks like a math problem in high school. And I think in university, the emotion starts to play out a little bit more. Yes, yes. That is exactly the point I was getting at. So the second uh, reason why financial literacy might not work in high school is due to peer pressure. So if this was an optional subject that you could take, I'm thinking it's been a long time since I've been in high school, but I do recall a lot of peer pressure. I mean, if your friends aren't taking it, why would you take it, right? So, So again, everybody might not get this course because all their friends aren't taking it. So something as trivial as that could alter your path your path in personal finance for your entire life that, that, that would be tragic oh like i like the word financial fin- personal finance i don't think it was probably even uttered once when i was in high school so i think there there's definitely that that misconception that would occur around this uh this class if it was offered Number three is mandatory versus optional, which plays into uh, what you said during for point number two. Well, well, no, it's a little different in that just say it was a mandatory subject in high school, so peer pressure was no longer a factor. I think if you're being forced to, to take a program, it, you're just going to go through the motions. Whereas if you did this in, in high school or college or university and it was optional, and there was a personal financial literacy program that you could go to. It was optional. It was free. Uh, I think the people that go there would be super enthusiastic and just eating it up. So, but if someone's forcing you to take a program, a lot of times you put your back up, right? You're you're not as open to absorbing the knowledge. But at the same time, if it was mandatory in high school, do not just think the exposure just even being there at, at just maybe fit your physical presence, just absorbing the content at some level, do you not think that would have some kind of subconscious impact on your decisions moving forward financially? It, it can't, it couldn't hurt, right? You might, you might pick up something, but if you don't want to be there uh, and again, I, I, you know, anything I've learned in life, if I don't employ it soon after I learn it, the knowledge leaves my, my mind in a hurry. Yeah, no, that, that's a very true point. And if you're in high school in grade 10 or 11 and learning this, not, I mean, a couple of years is enough time to kind of lose that, that information. Number four about why personal finance literacy might not work in high school is that your parents of high school students are too strong of a role model at this time and at this age. So this one, if your parents are terrible with personal finance, then that is, regardless if they're good or bad, you won't know as a, as a child if they're good or bad. But that's the the normal. That's that's what's normal in your world. That becomes and so if somebody at school 
is talking about radical things compared to that, right? They're talking about, you know, spending less than you earn and there's, you know, if you can't afford an 85 inch TV, don't buy one. If you can't afford a 65,000, don't buy one. You know, those things sound crazy to somebody who's been, you know, raised on, on a life of just revolving credit, right? So, you know, that, that you're, because your parents are your, really you're a strong influence when you're a child, even in high school, a teenager, uh, the, the hour, one hour a week you might get in a financial literacy course is no match for the everyday life you've been living. So I, I just think in high school, so when you go off to college, university, your parents aren't there on a day to day basis. So you can, new ideas can be bled into your head that maybe may, are different than what your parents have been doing and you've just been observing, or even maybe your parents have been saying, you know, if there's never been a better time to borrow money, interest rates are so low, you know, borrow as much as you can. You know, if that's the advice you're getting as a child, as a teenager at home, uh, and then you go off to college, university, and somebody's saying, you know, spend less than you earn and get out of debt as fast as you can, that that knowledge could sit in your and resonate in your brain a little longer, and it might stick. It might make sense. You might think, well, maybe my parents have a different philosophy that I don't necessarily have to share. And that I cannot agree more with. Number five and the fifth and final reason why financial literacy might not work in high school is that the stakes are too low. So I know all my kids have gone through post-secondary education and I know in their final year, they were stressed out about their, their program that they were studying, but they were also, you could hear them talk about life things and they were kind of worried about the world that was waiting for them and, and how they were going to navigate that. So in high school, the, the, the stakes are so low. It's like, will I have enough money to go with my friends on Friday night? <laughs> in college, university, in your fourth year, quite often, you know, am I going to have enough money to eat a decent meal this week? So I, I think when the stakes are higher, you're, you're more receptive to no, different knowledge. Oh, that, that cannot be more true. So I, Trevor, I want to kind of get to the money part of the episode. And these are the financial, so Trevor's financial, seven financial literacy topics. Um, and before we dive into this, though, I do have a question for you. So I, I know, I know if I, if, so if you're a student at post-secondary and you are either, you either kind of mandatorily have to take a personal finance program, uh, kind of course, or whether it's optional and you sign up for it anyway. I do you think that if the course took the behavioral approach that we're proposing that people would be surprised at what they've got themselves into? I think a lot of people would be sitting there saying, "Okay, when are you going to start teaching the personal finance part?" <laughs> right? They'd be sitting there saying, "Okay, enough with this rambling on. When does the actually course start?" You know, uh, and so I think so I just want to say that this is kind of a dream of mine that when I retire, I would go and offer free personal finance or personal finance literacy programs at colleges and universities. I, I, I would love to do that and I may very well do that or, or try to do that when I retire. That, that is a goal of mine. And this, these seven points. These are kind of some of the areas I would touch on. Obviously, the I would have to work out the details of the curriculum and, and, but you know, the delivery is the important part. And if you started just, uh, if, 
if, if you started out describing math problems to a, a group of students, I, I think you'd be misleading them. So I, I just think I, I have to come up with sort of a structure that I would deliver it under, but coming up and making people understand this is behavior. Oh, for sure. And I think uh, two things before we do jump into this, these seven points. One is that I, I there are, if there are individuals maybe who out there who didn't take a business program or math program or something along that lines. Like I, I was, I went to school for business, and nowhere in there, nowhere did we touch on anything related to personal finance. So I think the, that's a big first thing is that you did not miss out on anything if you weren't in the quote unquote right program to gain that knowledge because that was not there. I know accountants that are terrible with yeah, money. Yeah, like there's this, there's this. And, like, and they understand income statements and balance <laughs> sheets and profit and loss. These people, that's what they do for a living. And they still are terrible with personal Yeah, finance. like I feel like there's this, this this myth around certain business students or accounting students, I guess that falls into business, but that, that or even economics that, oh, they, they must have it figured out. But like, no, it's, it's not there at all. And my final thought is that I, I I do think that this course would have to this kind of the this theoretical financial literacy course would have to be delivered in you're right in, in a certain way because even like this very podcast Simple Money Solutions you can start listening to it and you're like and you 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 if when maybe you the you're listening to it right now and when you first started listening to this podcast you're like okay wh- where's where's the investing advice where is the hardcore numbers where is and you're kind of waiting for that but obviously the more you listen the more you realize that it it's we're more of a social science podcast than anything well and you mentioned investing investing is a whole other subject that is not financial literacy investing is a knowledge base all to its own that the that is not the financial literacy that's missing in our society today. Oh yes, a hundred percent. So, in fact, in fact, <laughs> you you can't even begin to invest until you figure out how to spend less than you earn. Oh yeah, so, the, the basics, yeah, right? The very you're, fundamental you're, you're basics. You're basically on a treadmill, not moving. At best case scenario, if you're outspending your paycheck and you're investing, at best you're treading water. So. If you can't get past that plateau, you could be the world's best investor and and still not be gaining anything financially. And I'm glad you brought that up. Sorry, this is my final point before we jump into the list. But we have grown adults running around with with crazy high credit credit card limits, buying these very expensive homes. Like there is a lot of lot going on in the adult world, and. And and maybe the financial literacy isn't there. So it just, it kind of just puts it into perspective how these fundamental overarching philosophies are so important. And actually one more thing before we jump into it, Trevor, when we're talking about delivering these seven um, topics, the financial literacy topics you proposed, do you not think the teacher or the instructor who delivers these topics is critical? Because how do you, how do you keep that your opinions and your personal biases out of delivering the content? Well, you have to believe in the content. You're, you're, you're really a salesperson and you're trying to sell these ideas to people. If you don't believe in them, it's going to show. Definitely. So let's, let's jump into these seven points. So number one is 
uh, 90% behavior, 10% math. And again, if you're, if you're listening to this today, you will have heard all of these seven points multiple times, numerous times throughout all our shows. But again, these are the core, Trevor's boiled them down to the core uh, financial literacy topics. So if I were to teach this program at a university or college, and I was putting up posters trying to entice students to come, that is, I would say, that, that's what the poster would read. It would read financial literacy program. It's 90% behavior, 10% math. I want people to know that when they're coming in, this is what this is what we're focusing on. Not on investing, not on math. I, I, if people could see that, that on the poster, just picture a poster, and those are the biggest words on it, right? And then at the bottom, it'd say 730 <laughs> in the whatever room, right? That That is how I would sell this. It, it, that is, and I would hammer that point home uh, until everyone's <laughs> eyes were glazed over because <laughs> a lot of people, young people don't understand that your behavior is your, is your undoing quite often. And, and it's, it's crazy because we understand in the kind of nutrition space or our, our food consumption space or exercise space that behavior is the driving factor for kind of our, our health wellness space. So why all of a sudden does the brick wall go up and that, and all of a sudden that doesn't translate over to our personal finance space as well? Like that blows my mind. Well, I disagree with you. I, I don't think people get it in the health side of the of the ledger either. They, they there's a lot of people that don't get that that your behavior is what's causing you to eat this bad food. Not not your, it's not it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not like you don't know there's that this tub of ice cream should not be eaten by a single person, right? It's it's not like you're lacking the knowledge to know I shouldn't eat all of that ice cream. It was designed for four people. Right. That, that's not a knowledge problem. That is a behavioral problem. Definitely. Definitely. And so, so with this, this 90% behavior, 10% math, I, I would focus on developing lifelong habits and self-discipline. Those are the two things. So it's easy to say it's 90% behavior, 10% math, come back tomorrow, <laughs> you know, or next week. Thanks right? for coming. But, but you know, once I, I hammered that point home and the eyes glazed over, then I would start to say, and the key is by developing lifelong habits. You know, that, that is how you get a handle on the behavioral side of your money. And, and, and that's why, again, you've tied it with self-discipline too, because we all know that well, lifelong habits are, are something that do, are not formed overnight. And, and people put those things together and just arbitrarily say, you know, habits and discipline. You develop the habit, you see the benefits, and then you work on the discipline to continue with the habit and eventually it it becomes just what you do but the discipline is like it's it's you didn't practice the habit long enough so the discipline was never formed so it's it's really working through that um, about this point as well though at this age so 22 23 2019 whatever age the individual in post secondary is kind of attending this uh this lecture on um and and pertaining to the specific point is that we do at that age we've kind of already formed these these habits that we might take with us for the rest of our lives so i think this specific point or this kind of the whole financial literacy course would really resonate with with people in a space of desperation and desperation in the most positive sense in that they understand that they're graduating and they, they want to 
um, enter the the world and, and with a very kind of positive uh, relationship with personal finance, kind of this area of realization that maybe their current mentality towards personal finance is not sustainable or healthy. Well, I don't want anybody too desperate. You know, I I, I think when you get desperate people, they they tend to be looking for fast solutions, quick solutions. So Maybe I need to get the people in their third year, not not their final year, right? Yeah. Maybe their second last year. Because if you get people who are desperate, they they tend to be looking for quick solutions uh, that, that turns around overnight. And the the financial literature I would teach is I want it to last a lifetime. So there is no quick fixes to any of this. And so the only reason I bring that up is because it is, we've talked about this in the past, but when you operate from a place of surplus, so that the fact that you you don't really have a budget, but you have enough money to survive, you don't really need to be concerned with that. You can kind of just fall into this place. It's not very deliberate, but it's this place and you're okay with your money because you, you have enough to make ends meet and but you have more than enough to make ends meet so that's what that's the reason I, I say that is because with if you are maybe living in a place of surplus or or some kind of place where you don't realize that you are a candidate a good candidate um, to increase your financial literacy I think it kind of fall apart a little bit true you know if people think it's working out so I clearly must be doing it right but you might be not moving towards your financial goals at the speed at which you could. And, and if you're living a life of just, you are, are naturally a frugal person and you earn more than you spend, but you could be doing better. You know, that, that, that's the example you're describing. No, exactly. And my, my final point bef- about um, point number one here, 90% behavior, 10% math, is that by boldly and loudly putting that on your theoretical posters, I think that is a great way to make uh, personal finance literacy just seem very accessible to every every person out there. Because it, it, I know I know uh, when you're kind of in that post secondary space, there's the if if you kind of get you kind of come to the realization that you know what like I'm, I'm specializing in in subject X because it's it's what I'm good at, and if if that's maybe not there's I guess a lot of just misconceptions. So by advertising that, I mean, everyone makes behaviors, does behaviors, takes action. So it just makes it very um, approachable, a subject that's approachable. You know, I might start the program out with a whole bunch of numbers, you know, like over a lifetime, you'll earn, you know, $3 million on average and you'll borrow this much money and you'll pay this much interest and I'll throw it like, (laughs) you know, a ton of numbers and and then I'll I'll do that for like 10 minutes. Oh my goodness. Uh, no, and I'll say, okay, none of that matters. <laughs> that that is that is just a distraction, right? You need to ignore all that nonsense because that isn't going to change how you behave with your money for thirty seconds. But you know, I I would almost start it out like that, saying, and and people would all, I'd see the panic in <laughs> everyone's face, right? I just do ten minutes of solid numbers, and and to show them that that doesn't matter. The numbers don't matter. No, they really don't. So that's number one. Number two is spend less than you earn. You have heard that so many times here on the podcast, but we're saying it yet again. So, you know, the, if you want to succeed at personal finance, you spend less than you earn and you invest the difference. You know, that, that, that's it, done, close up shop, <laughs> you've got it, right? <laughs> that sounds easy. 
But it's, it's how do you get to a place where you know you're spending less than you earn. And there's a little bit of math in here, not much, but it, it would really just be enforcing the documented budget. It's a requirement in life. So that would be lesson two. And you know why I'm loving the direction of your your course outline right now is because I, I don't know if anyone else can, this resonates with anyone else, but I know I often will look at kind of doc like guides or articles or, or blog posts and it'll just kind of it could spew off a point like that spend less than you earn but it's so like all like all these points we're going to talk about are like they're they're just points but it's it's the actual like we we're saying the behavior that is so valuable so i i love the fact that this course is is or theoretical course or actual course will be course is going to dive more into what that actually means like what that actually looks like for every individual who's who's attending well and you could i could say you could say spend less urine all day long but in a program i would deliver i i would you know explain that the only way to this answer this equation is a documented budget and i this program would go through how to develop one and maybe show some of the tools that are available from a technology standpoint today to to manage that yeah definitely i 100 percent agree with that so there would definitely be some PowerPoint presentations, Ooh. unfortunately, <laughs> that that would would help. I, I hate PowerPoint, but but there would be some presentation to to show how th- some of these tools work. Uh, point number three is a credit does not solve problems. So again, this part of the course would involve some math to demonstrate how credit only makes things worse. So when a problem comes up in life, don't look to credit to help solve it and think it's a short-term solution when really you just get in a bit in a, a cycle of credit. So it would be just hammering home the point that credit is a necessary evil in our society. You need it to buy a house. You might need it to buy a car. You might need it to get an education. And outside of that, you really shouldn't be using it. You know, that it should be something to help you build assets not not just enjoy life on. So I, again, I would explain how behavior often leads to you using credit, not not bad math skills, right? That you, again, that TV is a great example. So I I would hammer this home this point again to the point of glazed eyes. And a fun fact, if you haven't recently been on a university or college campus recently, there are credit card companies on campus marketing, advertising their credit cards to students passing by on their way to class. It is so dangerous. So Trevor, this point about credit cards do not solve problems would be so, so incredibly valuable to incorporate into your course. And if I were offering this program at a university and I seen that, I would go to the administration and lobby to have these people removed. That, that's how dangerous they are. So dangerous. Number four, I love this point. Life does not always go as planned and that's okay. Yeah. So again, this kind of goes to credit doesn't solve problems. So when life doesn't go as planned, it doesn't mean you hit the panic button. It means life is leading you in a in a direction you, you need to follow it to some degree don't 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 spend obscene amounts of money to make life go down the path you had planned when that path has an obstacle in it like follow life along let it lead you down the path in a in a general direction that you want to go in but don't 
pigeonhole yourself into, I'm an accountant and I'm always going to be an accountant. If opportunity presents itself, take it. There's, I completely agree. There, I'm like, there's nothing to say with that one. I cannot agree more. Number five is develop the self-discipline to save money. So not only the, the, the harder part is once you just say you're able to save a thousand dollars and there's a whole bunch of shiny things you want. The real discipline is, is not spending it. Like saving up a thousand dollars is an accomplishment in itself, but have develop a discipline to just have money sitting there for emergencies. It, again, this is again, the 90% behavior the math says, you know, I should save, you know, $20 for every paycheck. And if I do that for so many weeks, I'll have $1,000 in the bank. Okay, if, if you can develop that skill and do that, you, you have to further take that to another level and not actually spend that money on something stupid. Again, this, this is something I, I, I would, this goes back to developing uh, tiny habits and self-discipline. But these are the things I would teach in the course. And, and again, sh- again, in teaching it, show the benefits. So I love this point because you would instinctively think that saving money, just saving money on its own is, is as hard as it's going to get when it comes to wealth accumulation. But you're right. Let's not forget about the fact that what are we going to do with that money when it's accumulated? Like how, let's, let's, how, it's actually another complexity added onto the challenge of actually just holding onto it. Number six is document your goals and dreams. And I think this is so important at that that post-secondary uh, stage of life. Well, no, I, I don't know you do it then, but in teaching a program, if you don't have goals and dreams, then my thing about saving money, like saving money for the sake of saving money is, is misery, right? So if you have something documented, and the reason I say documented is you might say you want to buy a house and you you know, if you don't document all the things and goals and dreams you have and it gets a little hard working toward them, then if they're just floating around in your mind, you'll just change them to something easier, right? And, and you, you'll get to the, you know, later in your life, and you'll be disappointed about the things you didn't accomplish. And if you write it down and just say it gets a little hard and you decide, you know what, that, that goal is a little too hard. I don't want to do that one. You actually have to stroke it out. You have to take it off your list. You have to say, I don't want to do that. It's not just this thing floating in your mind. So the importance of documenting your goals and dreams in life, I, I think is is mission critical. See, I, I, I think I agree with you, but I also think that that point in your life is so important to develop goals and dreams. I, I agree that any time is important, but I think it's, you're at this very pinnacle stage of your life where you're really, it's a kind of uh, quote unquote big life transition. And I honestly wish I had better documented goals and dreams at that stage of my life to help direct where I was going from there. Because it's so easy, I think, to feel like you are just kind of wandering and, and not to give yourself focus because it's easy when you when you leave school to just aimlessly wander around if you don't if you don't have any goals whether it's personal finance goals or just life goals and dreams and aspirations set in place well I, and i think also in the program i, I would I'd have document your goals and dreams and come up with very broad ways again this is, there'd be some math in this thing and how you're going to achieve them right you you got to assign some numbers to these goals and dreams and you got to put some timelines around them so, you know, num- money and time, you can quickly figure out, is it attainable? And, and I would give examples and work through, 
you know, basic spreadsheet skills, how to do this, right? You know, and, and maybe, you know, given your current level of income, these goals and dreams are not realistic. Once you realize that, once you can, you can visualize, you know, I, I can't get there given my current situation. All of a sudden you have motivation to change your situation. Maybe that's your motivation to find a higher paying job Ooh, or, yes. move to, or move to a low cost region. But these are the things that I would, I would be teaching that you develop these goals and dreams, assign time and money and, and see if, if it makes sense. Because you, you might just fall into deep depression because you keep working for this and it's never going to work out. Well, if you haven't done the little bit of basic math skills to say, is this realistic? Then, then you, you're not even trying. I love that. So finally, number seven, the the seventh financial literacy topic you would cover is develop a value system. So this is something I wish I did or wish somebody told me to do when I was younger, but I would teach this for, for sure. So your your value system will evolve over time, but you just say you're, you just graduated from university and you really admire somebody in your life who who's done well and you make an observation just say they, they're always driving an older car and you say, I, I'm never going to own a new car. You know, I, I just, that's a value system. So if you could go through your whole life knowing I don't buy new cars. And I've said this one before. That's, that's one of my values. I just don't buy new cars. It's, I don't even entertain the idea. I, I just don't buy new cars. And your value system could be even smaller. You could say, I will not order alcohol when I'm eating dinner in a restaurant. I just, I will, you know, that, that could be a value. That's one of mine. I don't order alcohol with a meal ever. So when, when they bring a wine list, I don't, I, I say, no, thanks. I just don't do it. It's, it's, it's something I, I, I've just built that in. I'm not against alcohol. I'm not against drinking. I just do not order alcohol while I'm eating a meal. I figure I'm being entertained enough eating a meal out. Some people might have a value system. I'll never eat in a restaurant. I know people that have that value system. They just do not eat in restaurants. They don't believe in the markup. So Everyone, it, it, I would, I wish I developed a value system. I, I was, so if you don't have a value system, you end up just following the people around you, mimicking people around you. So without a value system, then, and I wouldn't tell people, you know, in the course, this is your, this should be your value system. I would just give examples of value systems and their benefits. It, it, it removes deci- decision fatigue from your life. It, it takes stress out of your life. If you just know that's something you don't do, then you never have to entertain or struggle with that decision. Wow, I, I love that. And every time you talk about the value system, it always becomes a little bit more, it becomes a little more amazing of an idea every time. Just the fact that you may already do th- certain things in your life, but if you kind of really self-reflect, you can identify the things that you habitually always do or don't do and, and kind of develop that into a value system, which is really cool. And so this program, I would call a financial literacy course, that could be mislabeled. You know, that, that could be the wrong title for this course, right? It, it might be the wrong, uh, what do you think? Is that, would that entice people? If it said financial literacy, 90% behavior, 10% math, would, would that? Literacy, I think, is one of those stigmatized words because it, just from kind of elementary school, high school, I, uh, even I know the word budgeting is kind of a catchy word. Not this is quite a budgeting course, but I, I think I think the word personal finance in there somewhere would be definitely uh, advantageous to include in the title. But or or maybe if it just had the word money, money, just money. 
Ma- manage your <laughs> manage money. Manage your money. Ooh, know. manage your money. You know, if the listeners could come in and suggest. Yeah, a, we need we need help a, with this. A, a way that this course title would be enticing for somebody who's 22 or 23 in their final year of, of university or college and it would make them take this program. Yes, I'll, I'll post a question on our social media, or you can also just uh, visit our website or uh, email us your what your suggestions for the title of this course. So Trevor, that brings us the end of today's show on financial literacy, its importance, uh, when we should be learning about financial literacy, and your seven financial literacy topics you will be covering in your future financial literacy course. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If you have any future topics or uh, that you would love for us to focus on in the, moving forward, you can always reach out to us via email livelifesimple365 at gmail.com or through our website livelifesimple.ca. We have a contact submission form on there or through our through Facebook or Instagram um, at Simple Money Solutions. Thank you so much for being with us today. We can't wait to have you back here with us for a brand new episode next week. Until then, keep it simple.